I've been thinking about this uh, message for probably about a month and a half and about what God wanted uh, me to share tonight as we talk about experiencing newness. It's experiencing newness. Um, I do want to let you know, um, in case you didn't know and you were curious, newness is a word. I checked, okay? Uh, um, I did check. Um, I actually had said, we're doing newness, and then like later on, I was like, is newness a thing? Is it a word? Is it okay? And uh, I found it on Google, so that means it's good, right? If you find it on Google, it's okay. Um, so tonight, I want to talk to you about experiencing newness. And as I began thinking about this kind of process of new, this uh, idea of a new experience, I began to think about the process that our brain actually goes through when it attempts to do something new or experience something new. This whole process is actually, um, I found an article on Forbes with a guy who was talking all about how the brain works and uh, like he had his name and then he like wrote PUD on the end of it, do you, PUD? You guys are saying, I think it, I think it's actually PhD, uh, but he had that on the end of his name and uh, he was talking about all kinds of crazy stuff and I could understand like the first three words of every sentence. Um, the whole process that he described was um, neuroplasticity. Now, you guys should be really impressed that I even tried to say the word, um, let alone got it out. You are in a church in the middle of a bunch of cornfields, just so you know. Okay, so neuroplasticity is probably the first time these walls have ever heard that word, okay? Um, it's not common. So these, what's happening is these neurons in your brain are firing around like crazy, okay? Anytime you try to do something new, okay? And it, what it does is it triggers chemical reactions based off of the experience that you have, okay? And so these, these, these neurons are firing away, and it's giving you some sort of emotion based off of what's happening. Now, um, those of you who know, uh, Beth and I were in Texas about a week ago, Okay? Um, and we were in Texas. We were in a new city we'd never been in. Um, we were experiencing all sorts of different things that we had never experienced. And uh, for those of you uh, who who maybe have been here, you guys know that Thursday nights we have refit uh, downstairs for the ladies. It's dance fitness for the ladies. Maybe you saw it on the screen or whatever, okay? Uh, it's dance fitness. And their headquarters are based actually out of Waco, Texas, and that's where we're going. So she was like, awesome. Um, and so she was like, we're going to go do a refit class. And I was like, yeah, you're going to love that. And she's like, we, and I was like, I don't know if you know how to spell I, um, I was concerned for a minute. So, so she's like, you have to go with me. You can't make me go by myself. And I'm like, that, like, that doesn't make sense, Beth. And she's like, you need to go, you need to go experience this with me. So I was like, okay. I'll go, um, I'm going to be a good husband, and I'm going to go to a refit dance fitness class. Now, for those of you who don't know me very well, yeah, for those of you who don't know me very well, dance fitness has never been associated with my name or my life, <laughs> let alone the word dance. Dance fitness together, really bad idea, okay? Uh, and so uh, we, we go to this place, and I got to tell you, the place is super cool, like, Design-wise, like, it's really cool, uh, very good creative space, like, lots of great design notes we were making that we really liked about the place. It was really, really cool. And then I step out into this huge room, 
and there's uh, lights and it's dimly lit and there's um, all these ladies excited about dance fitness and me. <laughs> and it's funny because as I was researching the brain and all the neurons and all they were telling me, and I, can, I now know all those feelings that I was having in my brain that was saying, Tom, if you leave, she won't be that mad at you, right? Because everything in me was saying, get out. <laughs> And Bethany was trying to make it feel better because there was a couple of other guys that were there. And she's like, look, there's other guys here. And I was like, that doesn't count, okay? It does not count because there was like three guys to like, I don't know, 20 ladies, okay? It was not, it was way off, okay? And uh, so it, it was bad enough being there, but I, you know, I could play it off. I was like, yeah, I'm a good husband, you know? And then the music starts and they start doing things. And then I'm like, I am a horrible husband because I'm leaving her here and I'm going home, <laughs> And when I, I say home, I mean like Cincinnati home, okay? Like I'm gone. Especially when they start making you do motions like this and you're squatting. And I'm like, every neuron in my body is saying, stop this. What are you doing? It was traumatic. Um, but what these neurons do is they help you define two things. Now, he didn't use these terms. These are the terms that I use because uh, I think it makes more sense. These neurons and these chemical reactions help you decide me likey or me no likey, okay? And that day, lots of me no likey happening. Actually, to the point where Bethany, when we left, she's like, I never want you to do that again. <laughs> and I was like, I never wanted it to begin with. Like, I knew that would be the decision. She's like, I've never seen you so uncomfortable. I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? I think she thought like I was going to get there and I was going to be like some dance fitness prodigy and like no one knew that it was in me. But that is not what happened <laughs> at all. And if you're curious about that, Chris and Kristen can tell you because they saw it, okay? They know that it does not work, okay? So... <laughs> Okay, experiencing newness. Okay, let me get back here. Um, experience newness is difficult, okay, because it requires a breaking away from something else, maybe something you know. Now, some of you are here tonight, and this is your first time being here, okay, and that is something new, right? That is something different, and I will say this. I applaud you because it's hard to do new things, it really is. Like, it, it takes a lot. It's a lot on your brain, and it's a lot to, to open yourself up to say, okay, I'm going to go to this weird church in the middle of, oh, there's cornfields around here, um, and I don't know much about it, and I'm just going to show up. And it's even on Saturday night, which sometimes makes it even weirder that I'm going to church on Saturday night. Like, it, it's okay, trust me. But it's not easy. So good for you, all right? Good for, for those of you who ventured out and said, I'm going to try this weird place out, okay? But experiencing newness is an important part of our lives. We have to be willing to experience newness. See, it's, it's those experiences that are really building into who we are and who we, be, who we become. It provides an opportunity for emotions like joy, right? Excitement, love. Sometimes those same experiences can have emotions like Regret, <laughs> I had that one. <laughs> Sadness, anger, man card removal, lots of things, okay? <laughs> but see, the problem is, 
It's those experiences, those experiences that you don't enjoy, that you walk away saying, I'm never doing that again. Those are the experiences that keep us from experiencing something new. And the problem is we get consumed with those experiences and not the good experiences. And we allow those bad experiences to overshadow. Now, I didn't come back from Waco and say I had the worst time at dance fitness, okay? I came back from Waco and I told everyone I had an amazing time. It was great. We enjoyed Chip and Joanna's place. We had all these great things. We had great time. We had great food. All of these other experiences that were so great. That's what I talked about. But often we're guilty of getting caught up in the negative experiences so much that we become afraid to experience something new because the last time we tried something new, I was doing one of these. <laughs> right? That's what happens. So I want to share a story with you in the Word about experiencing newness. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, we will have the, uh, the scriptures on the screen here. But we're going, to, we're going to read in Acts chapter 9. And I'll warn you, this may not be your typical Easter Sunday, Saturday service, okay? Um, but it's all right. You're going to be okay. You'll make it through here. And honestly, if you feel really bad afterwards, the good news is there are Sunday services tomorrow for some other church. If you're like, that didn't do it for me, <laughs> okay? Acts chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1, okay? And I'm going to tell you this story about a man named Saul, Okay? I want to talk to you about Saul's experience. And Saul, uh, let me go ahead and clear the air on here. Saul, Paul, same guy, okay? So if you hear and you're like, wait a minute, I thought that story was always about Paul, and that weird guy said it was about Saul. They're the same person, so don't, don't, don't be scared. You'll be okay. It says in verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Let me just stop there real quick. Um, I pray that none of you, when you go to write something down about me, starts with, but Tom, breathing threats and murder. Let's not do that. Um, But I just, I want you to understand that because that is the reputation that Saul carried. Because he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is no little thing that's happening with Saul, okay? It says, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, meaning they were were following Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So we're going to stop here just for a second. Hold your spot because we will continue on here in just a second. But little backstory for you. As you can tell here, Saul hates Christianity. 
He hates that it is spreading. He hates that it is building. And he is literally murdering the followers of Christ to eliminate what is taking place here. Okay, this guy is all in to where he's at. He's all in. And this experience that that Saul has here, that Paul has here, it is life-changing. I mean, imagine being in Saul's situation. He's just traveling around. All of a sudden, lights get bright, and he falls blind. That's pretty serious, right? That would cause a significant shift in any of our lives if we were to be in that position. But I want you to notice something. What happens is Paul begins to follow what Jesus told him to do, right? Jesus told him, rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. Now, see, I love how Jesus is like this (laughs) Um, because this is the way that I imagine Jesus, that here is Saul going out trying to destroy everything that Jesus has died for and built up. And all of a sudden, Saul is this this guy on this tirade and he's going out to do this and Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to strike you blind. And then he's like, what's going on? He's like, hey, I'm the guy that you've been persecuting and here's what you're going to do now. You're going to get up and you're going to walk into the city and when you get in the city, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You know what Saul did? He listened (laughs) real quick. (laughs) I could tell you right now, if I got struck blind and I heard a voice and it told me, you better get heading to the city, I'm going to go to the city, right? (laughs) This is life-changing. But what's amazing about what Jesus told him is there was no promise of healing in that. Jesus didn't say, go to the city and I'll heal you there. Jesus said, go to the city and you'll do what you've been told. There was no promise of healing. There was no promise of deliverance, just instruction to enter the city. And what's crazy is here's this guy who's been doing everything that he could possibly do to eradicate this Jesus movement. And in a moment... He's following the instructions of Christ. I think this is absolutely insane. Why? Because many of us are in a position where we claim to follow Christ, but we refuse to lean on his instructions for our own life. We have created our own form of newness that is settling for a lukewarm walk with Jesus. And it doesn't work that way. Now, I know it was, it was a little early for me to take a shot at you, so we're going to keep reading, okay? Acts chapter 9, we're going to go into verse 10, okay? I want, you to, I want you to see what happens in this story, okay? It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road 
by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Quick recap here. Ananias walks this out fully knowing the risk. This reputation that Saul had, this was severe. And I love, I, I love seeing this because literally it was anyone, anyone who spoke the name of Jesus Christ, Saul had the authority to bind them and to take them back to Jerusalem right there in that moment. And what's amazing about that is that when Ananias laid his hands on Saul, he wasn't afraid to say, the Lord Jesus, Right? Ananias was bold enough to go ahead and say Jesus. He, he didn't have to hide and say, hey, God sent me. or God. No, no, he said the Lord Jesus. Because when he spoke that word, it gave Saul authority to take him captive and go out of there. And so think about Ananias in this story, right? Think about how he is walking out his faith in a very big way. Meanwhile... We live in such a way that we're intimidated to even let someone know that we believe in Jesus. See, he had a threat to his life by literally just speaking that name in that instant. It's powerful what Ananias did. Because what everything that happened for the rest of Saul's life, I look at Ananias, I look at that as fruit to his life as a disciple. And so even for your own life, you may see in a moment where maybe you've prayed for someone and you don't know and you find yourself in a pit where you're saying, I don't even know what Jesus has done. And you don't know in the background, you've got someone like a Saul that you've prayed for, you've anointed, who is now walking out and living out his calling because of your obedience. Let's continue reading verses 18 through 20. It says, and immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. See, Saul's transformation here, it is substantial. And many of you know what happens with his life goes on, right? Saul, Paul goes on, he brings the word to kings, he brings the word to the Gentiles, he brings the word, he plants churches, he writes most of the New Testament, okay? Paul does so much with his life from there. And knowing Paul's testimony, knowing his life and what he does, this is significant. But I want you to understand this. His newness, this new creature that he is, this is the result of everything that had happened. And the result of what happened came from this, his willingness to experience it. See, everything that happened with Paul happened because he subjected himself to the experience with Jesus. He had to make that decision. The people that he was with, they couldn't make that decision right? They couldn't do that for him. Saul had to make that decision. See, I believe that most of us have heard about a new life in Christ. I think we've heard that. Tonight, we're celebrating the fact that people, Jesus rose from the dead. He did it. We know it. There's proof of it all around. And I've said all of this to say this to you. It's time that we start experiencing a life in Christ. 
We have to begin to experience this life in Christ and not just solely acknowledging him as the Christ. See, Saul experienced Christ on this day. He had already heard of Christ. He already knew the stories of him. He already knew about the miracles. He already knew so much about Jesus, right? He knew, he knew what to look for because he was looking for the people that were following him and doing the things that Jesus did. And just like Saul, we know, guys, we don't, we don't really live in a society here in America where you don't know the idea of Jesus, okay? Most of the time, you don't. we don't live in some um, uh, pit in some third world country where no one has ever uttered the name Jesus. We have heard the name Jesus, guys, okay? And what Saul did is he decided in the moment that he experienced Christ to change. See, when you experience Christ, this newness that you have access to, it changes everything. It changes everything. If it takes Paul from a murderer to a follower, what would this type of experience do in your life? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let me talk to you about what I mean by experiencing newness, right? The newness is there. We have access to the newness, right? The newness is a life in Jesus Christ. Submitting ourselves to what this word actually says, actually walking and out and allowing ourselves to live a changed life. What happens, we do that when we have an experience with him. Let me talk to you about an experience, okay? Um, because I think it's important to understand what an experience is, okay? Think back to the very first time that you drove a car on the road. Most people can remember that experience because it was an experience. I can tell you my first time, okay? My first time, um, I was, I like to brag and say I was so cool. Um, I was uh, 15 years old. I bought my first car, um, and uh, it, it sounds cool. Um, I had a Ford Mustang. It was my first car. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, 1984 Ford Mustang. I was like, man, I was like, I am the coolest kid in the world, right? Um, and everyone believed that. Everyone believed that. And so I had this black 1984 Ford Mustang that I was just, I was excited out of my mind about, okay? And uh, I had my temps at that point, and my dad's like, all right, we have to do like 400 hours of driving or whatever it was. I don't remember what the, what the, the, the hour restrictions are, because I think me and my dad drove like three times, and then he was like, ah, you're good, and he signed it. <laughs> yeah. So if you all think I'm a bad driver, blame my daddy, okay? <laughs> so the first time we go to drive, he's like, you want to drive the Mustang? I was like, oh, can we really? He was like, well, you kind of bought it to drive it. You're not driving mine, okay? Um, and so I was like, yeah. Um, now, let me tell you something about my Mustang. Um, my Mustang was not a cool car. Um, it sounds cool. It's nice when you have to do the security questions uh, for all your passwords. And they're like, what was your first make and model car? I'm like, Ford Mustang. And they're like, this guy must be cool. Wrong, okay? It was a Ford Mustang LX. Um, it was, and I, some of you have heard this, um, it was the version with a four-cylinder, um, super weak. Um, it was not a cool car at all. At all. Um, and so... 
But regardless, I'm like, I look cool. Um, I feel cool. And so I'm going to drive this with my dad. So we get in the car and he's like, let's drive out to Stone Lick, right? Let's drive out there. You kind of learn the road, start figuring things out and where things are. I'm like, okay, this is cool. And, uh, um, you know, I'm kind of checking. It's, it's exciting, right? It's my, my first car I've bought. You know, I saved up my own money and bought my car. And so I'm driving. I'm like, man, you know, I'm learning everything on the dash and all the gauges and stuff. And I'm like, okay, everything looks good. You know, engine's nice and hot, you know, so we're good. Um, Engine doesn't need to be hot, hot. Um, and so um, it was like slugging. It was like acting real weird. And and uh, dad's like, are your gauges fine? I'm like, yeah, gauges fine. Engine's hot, all this stuff. And he's like, ooh, what do you mean the engine's hot? And I was like, well, you know, the gauge is past the H, you know, so it's warmed up, you know. <laughs> no, that's not what that means, Tommy Toes. And so... Um, so he's like, oh, we need to pull over. And so I'm like, okay. I'm like, I just wonder why it's like not got any get up. And I thought it was just because it was a four cylinder. But, um, so we, we pull over by the cemetery over in Stone Lake. Okay. And literally as I pull over, it's super cool. It was like smoking. It was so cool. Um, and, uh, not supposed to do that either. Um, and so we pull over, uh, pop the hood and my dad's like, uh, we got a problem here. This thing is not working. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, what do we do? And so we just waited it out, uh, because we didn't have cell phones in. So we just stood there by the cemetery and talked about how cool my car was. And, uh, once it had cooled down enough, he's like, I think we should just drive straight home. And so we drove straight home, and uh, um, just so you know, I never drove that car again. I sold it. Um, it's gone. It was gone pretty quick. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, I, tried, I changed the thermostat, and so it didn't overheat anymore, just so you know, but, um, but I was done with that car. Um, and so that was my first experience driving a car. That was an experience, right? I can remember every detail about that day. I can remember what the weather was like. I can remember what the car felt like. I can remember the conversations with my father. I can remember where we were at at that cemetery. And I will tell you, Beth and I have drove by there many times by Stone Lake, and I've said, that's where my Mustang broke down. <laughs> this is the only time I was ever in my Mustang to talk about it. That's where my Mustang broke down. Um, now, I know I'm going to get a lot of heat from Jimmy and the Chevy crew about my Ford Mustang breaking down, okay? Just, just, just reserve that for later, guys. I don't want to talk about my Ford Mustang. And you know what's funny is the car that really became my first car, my grandma and grandpa gave it to me. Um, it was a, a, an Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra, okay? Um, if you don't know it, Grandma, don't take offense to this. It is an old person car, okay? <laughs> and I like to say that it was maroon uh, because it makes me feel more manly than saying it was purple. Uh, but it was a purple. Now my grandpa called it old red. It was not red. It was purple. Okay. And that was my car that I drove for quite a while to be quite honest with you. And it had a V6 that had way more power than the Mustang did. Uh, it was an experience though. But if you think about this, think about three weeks ago on Tuesday, what was your drive like to work? I don't remember that at all, right? I don't remember three weeks ago on Tuesday what my drive was like to work. I, I don't have a clue because it wasn't an experience. I was just going through the motions, right? I was just trying to get where I got to go. There's many times that Beth and I have looked at each other after we got somewhere and we're like, do you remember any of that drive? I mean, we've all done it. Like, how did I get here? Like, right? That thing, yeah, I drove here. See, too many of us, though, have found ourselves in the motions of church now. See, 
the motions of worship, <laughs> the motions of the Christian life. But see, Jesus intended us to experience this life, guys. He didn't, he didn't want it to be emotion. He didn't want it to just be going through this process that we have to go through. I got to go to church because I got to show up. It's Easter. It, that's not what he wanted. He wanted us to experience in him above anything else that he wanted for us was to experience Christ. Lamentations 3.22 through 23 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And it says this in 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Guys, every day, there's, there's, there's so much about him that we have not uncovered. So much about him that we don't know. So much about him that we have access to, but we've never experienced him. Right? We've gone through motions. And honestly, sometimes church culture creates an environment for that to happen. Okay? One thing that we really try to do is we try to be fluid, right? We try to just follow whatever God is telling us to do in the moment. Does it always look right? No. Sometimes it might look weird or it might sound weird or it might be different or it might make you uncomfortable. We like to talk about stretching a lot here. <laughs> We're stretching. Um, we love to be stretched. Um, no one has actually said that yet to me, but, um, but we do that, right? We do that because we don't want to just be in the motion, right? We want to do what God is leading us to do in every moment, in every instant. And I'll tell you, the thing about that is it doesn't matter how the church culture says that it should look or how it should work. Because there are many times that Bethany and I will hear how we're doing something wrong or we're doing whatever it is, okay? But I'll tell you, all we know is that we're just going to try to follow the Holy Spirit as best as we can. And I can tell you something about us really quick. As a church, we are going to mess up like crazy. <laughs> That's because we're just following him, guys. And see, when you choose to experience him, see, an experience by definition is the state of being affected by or gaining knowledge through direct observation or participation. The experience is a state of being affected by participation, right? See, you need to participate. That's the way this whole thing works. See, Saul's experience could literally end with this. This story could be Saul was murdering a bunch of Christians, and he went walking one day, and Jesus met him and struck him blind, and told him to go to the city and do what you're told, and Saul said no, and he was blind for the rest of his life. That could be the story in the Bible, and that's where it would end. But Saul chose to participate. Thank you, Jesus, that Saul chose to participate. And see, we have to choose to participate in this experience with Jesus. How many experiences are you missing because you've chosen not to participate? What opportunities have you missed? What blessings have you restricted yourself from because you've chosen not to participate? What blindness do you have because you've chosen not to participate? See, Christianity is not a spectator sport, guys. It's not reserved for those who pastor or preach or teach. It's reserved for all of those who choose to believe. And guess what? We all have that choice. 
every single one of us. And I'll tell you what gets tricky about this is people get confused because some people, men, we suck at this really bad, okay? Um, we, we look at this as weakness because I find myself in need of someone to save me. Listen, my Mustang may be broke down, but I will get out of that situation, right? <laughs> Man, we, we, are, we live and breathe this, right? We always think we've got to have it together. We got to get our stuff together. We got to be strong. We got to show strength. We got to show. And let me tell you something. Paul, uh, um, you know, when you read in the word, says that when I'm weak, then I am strong. <laughs> and that means we need to be, I know this is always hard for the guys to say, I say this word and it freaks you out. Vulnerable. Okay, take a breath. <laughs> See, because as men, you think that we always have to show this strength. And what it does is it limits us from experiencing Jesus. Because let me tell you what Jesus does. Jesus comes in, and he doesn't do it mean, but he comes into you, and he helps you recognize all of your weaknesses. <laughs> he says, let me help you with all that. Let me help you with your anger. <laughs> let me help you with your lack of self-control. Let me help you with all of these other things that you find yourself struggling with that you think, I got it together, but you don't. See, we need this. And so when you think about this whole experience, you know, you know, because I've, I've talked about it a little bit ago, when you choose to experience Jesus, it changes everything. It will change everything. There is no stopping it. Let me make that very clear to you. Everything will change when you actually choose to experience Jesus. And I'm not talking about experience Jesus like um, I'm in the back row and I'm going to slip my hand up and put it down real quick. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about experiencing him. I'm talking about subjecting yourself to the son of God. That's what I'm talking about. This is, this is big, right? These are big decisions to make. But some people will look and say, man, I've kind of got a pretty good thing going. I got this awesome Mustang LX, <laughs> right? Getting pretty good at dance fitness. Um, <laughs> why, right? Why do this? Like, I've got my stuff together. I've got a pretty good life. See, Jesus made a sacrifice that he didn't necessarily desire to make. Now, d just listen to me on this, okay? It's not that he wasn't willing to make it, okay? But this sacrifice that he made was significant so that we could experience newness, experience it, not just talk about it, experience it. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is preparing for what he knows is coming. And he's praying to God the Father. And it says this, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was absolutely willing to make this sacrifice. There's no doubt that he was willing to make it because he did. He went on to make this sacrifice. But I want you to see in his heart of hearts, he said, Father, if it's possible, 
if there's any other way, if there's some different avenue, if there's something that could be different about this story, I'd love that. But if not, I'm all in. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, Tiff, if you would come. I want you to understand this commitment that Jesus made in this moment. When Jesus prayed that prayer, guys, this is what Jesus really said, okay? Jesus said, Father, let one of my top 12 friends betray me. You think about your closest friends, right? If you think about your top 12, who would make it in your top 12 list? You think about the process of saying, Jesus, take one of those and let them betray me. You know, what's crazy is when Judas kissed Jesus to give him away, you know what Jesus looked at him and said? He looked at him and said, do what you came to do. Do what you came to do. He knew. If we knew, (laughs) if we knew someone was about to betray us to that level, to put us to death, how would we respond? We'd blow up their Facebook page about how bad they are. (laughs) We'd talk dirt about them. And we'd betray them. We'd start putting out all the dirt about them. Everything they've done wrong. And you know what? If Jesus, if Jesus had done that, some of us would have read that and be like, darn right, Jesus deserved that, right? Why was he trying to give him away? But no, Jesus looked at him and he said, do what you came to do. He said, when he, when he prayed this prayer, he said, let the people whom I came to save, the people that I love, the people that I want to experience newness, let them spit on me, Let them beat me. Let them mock me. Let them kill me. When he gave that, he gave everything. And he did it because he said, if that's what it's going to take for my people to really get to experience heaven, to experience God. Listen, I, I, I used to do this children's lesson every Easter, right? And I would talk about how um, before Jesus, you had man over here and you had God over here. And there was nothing that man could do to ever reach as far as they needed to, to really get to God. And then Jesus came and Jesus created this bridge. And Jesus is the bridge, right? Jesus is the bridge that allows us to have a relationship with God, the Father, He wants us to experience this life in Christ. And see, some of you are here tonight because someone convinced you to come be here. And that's amazing. I already talked to you about experiencing something new. That's a big deal, right? But let me tell you this. All of you are here because God wants you to experience him. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to know him. He wants to give you newness. He wants to cleanse the darkest parts that you don't let anyone see, that you're afraid to talk to anyone about, 
those emotions that you feel sometimes that you just don't feel like you can ever get it out there. He wants to set you free. He wants to cure your blindness. (laughs) But you have to be willing to participate. He won't force himself into your life. It doesn't work that way. But he wants you to experience him. And let me tell you how that's how that happens, okay? It starts by accepting Jesus Christ as your savior. Accepting the sacrifice that he made. Accepting the fact that he came for you, that he died for you, that you could experience a new life, guys. Some of you have been dealing with some bottled up anger your entire life. You've been forgotten by your parents, by your grandparents, by your spouse, by your kids. I don't care what it is. And you feel like you are an island all by yourself and you have no idea how to get past the hurt that you feel today. But let me tell you that Jesus Christ has newness for you. A fresh, a fresh awakening for you that will change everything about your eternity. And some of you are thinking, but I don't want to give up this. Let me tell you, stop worrying about what you're going to have to give up for Jesus and start thinking about what he's going to pour out on you for taking him because it will change your life. 